You are listening to a Himal South Asian podcast. A shocking explosion of violence broke out in New Delhi's prestigious Jawaharlal Nehru University on Sunday night when armed and masked groups muscled their way into the university campus, entered students' hostels and attacked students violently with rods and stones. The JNU Teachers Association and the JNU Students' Union have both blamed the JNU administration, specifically the vice-chancellor, seeking his removal. Testimony from students and teachers on campus has pointed to an organized attack perpetrated by activists associated with the ruling BJP and its student affiliate, the ABVP. While the government has declared there will be an inquiry into the violence, some union ministers, along with the ABVP and other right-wing formations, have already blamed the left-wing student organizations within JNU. Our editor, Aunahita Mojumdar, talks to scholar and activist Nivedita Menon, who is a professor of political thought at Jawaharlal Nehru University. Thank you for joining us today for the Himal South Asian podcast, Nivedita, at what must be a very distressing and difficult time. Can you briefly tell us what happened? Thank you for reaching out. It's very important that uh, this information and news goes out uh, as far as possible. Uh, so what uh, happened was that uh, two days ago, uh, there was a set series of sporadic incidents of violence around the buildings which had been locked down by students over a very long agitation, 70 all day agitation over uh, unprecedented sea hikes. Yes. So the students have been on strike, the exams have been boycotted, the buildings have been under lockdown and two days ago uh, in sporadic incidents of violence, ABVP students the university, accompanied by some members of the faculty, started roughing up and beating up students who were holding the building down. As a form of protest against that, yesterday the JNU Teachers Association, the JNU TA, held mm. a peace march in a public uh, spot where our, our protests happen at Sabarmati Tea Point. And as the meeting was winding up, they got information that there were armed men around the hostels. Uh, this information was brought to them. I was not present at this peace march. Mm. So uh, I'm reporting what eyewitnesses have, uh, have reported. Yeah. One uh, a faculty member who was coming to the meeting, to the teachers association meeting, encountered men standing at some point with sticks in their hands, masked men standing with sticks in their hands, and he was on a cycle. He stopped his cycle and took out his phone to take pictures, at which two of them came running up towards him and forced him to delete the photograph and actually beat him. He managed to run away. And he ran towards where the teachers were meeting for the peace meeting Mm -hmm. and told them that this is happening. So the teachers, as we do in JNU, the response was, right, so we are all here, we will meet them, we will... Talk to them, uh, how bad can it be? Hmm. So they continued with uh, their activities and they decided to walk towards the hostel and they suddenly realized that this mob of 30 men were coming towards them, Hmm. running towards them Hmm. and this mob started hurling stones. 
from what they described it was like they were a gang of criminals who were trained to do this because it was all very professional they knew how to wield those sticks they knew how to throw the stones from a distance such that it hit people in the head these stones were not just regular stones they were clearly for the purpose collected for mm. the purpose they were they are being described as practic almost too big to hold in the hand mm. their size of about half a brick um and interestingly one of our colleagues said that when he went to that site in the morning this morning those stones had been cleared away mm. so they start, so they started attacking the teachers and some of our teachers are quite badly injured and for the next two or three hours they were on a rampage in the hostels uh they entered rooms they beat up students they entered select faculty housing they uh, vandalized those houses they so there are i mean altogether about 50 people have been injured in various ways uh some of them quite seriously uh in the sense of having head injuries including a student in prison and one of our colleagues so this was what happened yesterday and those of us who were outside campus came to know this news around 6:30 so it it was very clear to us that this mob could not have entered this highly securitized campus venue is now a very high security campus yeah uh, and and a gang of men enter with sticks and masks and so on so this is not possible without the full connivance of the jnu security which means the full connivance of the jnu administration and uh, there were police outside but they weren't doing anything now when those of us who were outside campus came to know about this mm. we went towards venue we found that the main gate of venue was there were police standing in front of it but there was a mob of about 20 30 men mm. so by this time it was about an, it was like 2 3 hours after the attack had begun and there was there was a kind of a mob situation outside and they were shouting slogans against venue so we decided to go straight to the near near the police station when we went to the police station we found that there was only like one of the cops there they said that all their senior officers were at the hmm so we went to jnu we all the gates were closed we went through the one gate that was open and then basically about 20 of us faculty members headed towards the main gate yeah that is from the inside yeah for the next 3 hours there was a kind of a standoff at that gate mm. where more and more of our teachers came on the inside and yeah. the slogans outside were extremely violent yeah. uh talking about goli maro saalon ko which is shoot the bus mm. uh, and uh, that kind of a thing they were carrying sticks and the police were not dispersing them mm. meanwhile the call went out for support Uh, mm. to those those of our, you know uh, uh, those who support us in yeah. and they started arriving and they were kept in a corner by the police yeah but in fact outside the there was more violence outside at that point than there was inside because yeah. we were inside campus mm. and those who would come in our support there were a lot of women they were sexually harassed they were molested they were beaten um uh, you know yogin yadav who is the swaraj party uh, person he was uh, actually wrapped up and mm. thrown to the ground yeah and he has actually named the faculty member of jnu uh, from the sanskrit faculty who was outside with the mob and mm. he dropped him up yeah 
and it happened in the presence of the police. Yes. So there was a lot of tension, and for about three hours we remained on one side. It was a standoff kind of situation. But in the meanwhile, we had contacted the media. The media were not allowed to come in. We held a press conference at the closed gate. Um, and um, finally, I mean, because we contacted political people, uh, clearly some kind of message went to the police. So after about three hours, that crowd of goons disappeared, and um, the area was basically taken over by our people. And then, so that kind of came to an end around like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. It went on like that. So that's what happened. So a couple of things strike me. One is that. I mean, obviously, in, in a lot of university campuses, you do have rival student groups uh, getting into scuffles from time to time, and there has been some attempt to describe this as a similar situation. But I think the fact that an organized armed group of thugs came in from outside, I mean, that is unprecedented, as well as the fact that the police have clearly not taken any action which is visible from the initial footage which has been doing the rounds yes. in uh, yes. some of the independent media. No, no yes, there's clearly, uh, not clear, I mean, there is clearly an attempt by the ABDP and by today, it's interesting, because yesterday they were caught on the wrong foot and even the BJP leaders were tweeting that this is un intolerable, etc. Uh, but uh, it's very by now they have this counter narrative in place that it was some kind of a attack by the left on the ABDP. Mm. Um and it is untenable in, and absolutely implausible it is clearly a desperate lie it's so obvious because all the students who are hurt including the president and president are left-wing students mm. and um, there is enough uh, video footage because everybody has phones these days of masked men with uh, rods and sticks and mm. stones and there is enough evidence of all that so it's very clear that this is not a clash between two groups of students but the case of an organized mob being let into the campus to do a certain job yeah. with the connivance from all the way up to the top uh, of the government so it's not at all uh, a clash between student groups not in this slightest. And in fact, uh, while this incident has been particularly violent and shocking, it's not an isolated incident. We've seen uh, similar crackdowns on protesting students in different campuses across India, especially in Aligarh Muslim University and Jamia Millia. And the state missionary has also been used similarly to crack down on them. What is the reason for this kind of uh, repression of so, the protests? Yeah, so what is interesting is that the supposed immediate um, uh, political situation is that the students are boycotting exams and boycotting registration, right? Now, uh, if that were the issue, if the issue were that the new students are boycotting registration and the administration is making all kinds of claims that they have that they've sabotaged the registration process by uh, cutting internet wires, uh, they're saying things like this, yeah, Edmund is making these kinds of claims. In fact, uh, the Vice Chancellor's only statement, I think, after the event has been to assure that registration will go ahead rather than expressing even any sympathy for students who have 
been injured regardless yeah. of who has uh, done it yes not one word of regret about that because he actually uh, was very much obviously party to the mob entering the campus knowledge some of the whatsapp groups even said that he is our vc and therefore He's we will be allowed VC. to do this you know he very much so are there are two things here one one two two things that i want to speak about now one is about the fact that the vc has the full protection of the home minister mm. and that is now very clear because uh, in this entire standoff of over 70 days although the mhrd has made every effort actually to break the lockdown uh, the vice chancellor has refused to meet the mhrd committee he has refused to uh, go to meetings with the mhrd committee has convened there was a high level committee that was set up by the mhrd he has completely ignored with complete arrogance he has, you don't do that unless you have the backing of the most powerful person in the land which is currently not even the prime minister but the home minister so uh, yes so he's very much their man and their vice that is very very evident uh, in every step that he has taken since 2016 uh, in his attacks on students and faculty but the second thing that i want to say is that this particular attack shows that this that the worry about universities is of course much bigger than uh the current uh, crisis in jnu because of the fee hike because the slogans of uh desh ke gaddaron ko goli maro saalon ko which is kill the traitors of the nation mm. uh and those kinds of slogans are not about writing exams and doing education those are about the larger political issues which have to do with i have no doubt in my mind the way in which the ca is being uh, the citizenship amendment act is being opposed by militant young people all over the country mm. uh, i have no doubt that that is what is at stake now mm. so the attack on amu and jmi jamia uh, was also uh, on ca and this particular attack is about is about hindu rashtra mm. it's about the obstacle to hindu rashtra which this generation of militant youth is is facing in the path of hindu hindu rashtra hmm. uh because it's not acceptable so hindu rashtra uh with its kind of violence against uh, minorities and dissenters plus a neoliberal agenda of ending the public university system which serves them the dual purpose of uh crony capitalism but also the end of a culture of critical thinking if you hmm. shut down universities hmm. it's the end of a culture of critical thinking and you just make sure that education is available only to a small minority mm, yeah. that kills many birds with a couple of stones so it's very clear that the protests of the over the ca have rattled them mm. and they are trying to shut down the kind of resistance that the whole country has shown and i think they were unprepared because there was that is the government for the kind of resistance that has been shown um and not just by muslims clearly this is a much bigger question for everyone no one thinks it as a muslim issue except mm-hmm. the um and i have no doubt that yesterday's attack on jnu was really back to a political agenda in the sense in 2016 it was a political attack on jnu then it moved into a kind of bureaucratic institutional destruction and institutional uh, damage and devastation come back mm. full circle to the political task of trying to destroy 
critical thinking which they term anti-nationalism. Mm. Uh, you said the government was not prepared for these kind of protests, but uh, have the protests also surprised you in a positive way? This has been an unprecedented kind of scale of mobilization of the youth. We have yeah. mm. Yes, absolutely. You are absolutely right. They have, because uh, when the NRC was being talked about, I did wonder, and I think many of us did wonder, because Kashmir went uncommented on mm. much. Mm. Uh, which is not true, okay, I would like to rephrase that. It's not that it was uncommented on, because one of the things that you do notice is that people are speaking up, but certainly it was not spoken of, and it's kind of on the back burner, hmm. uh, and it's not spoken of as much as one would imagine. And um, when that happened, then they pulled off triple talar also, and they, it's like they were just picking off uh, items on their Hindu side, and, uh, um, and there wasn't anything much uh, that one was seeing in terms of dissent or protests or so I must say I did wonder would we be like the German middle classes you know picnicking mm. in the forest mm. the smoke rising yeah. from the gas chamber yeah. um, one did wonder mm. will it be that and what how how should we deal with it what is the kind of politics we can do and mm. I must say that I think we were thinking like that, I think this explosion of protest, mm. and it's a new kind of a protest, mm. it's a protest of people who are both claiming citizenship but also many who want to give the right to citizenship to people who are not citizens. Mm. So as you know the range of protests, um, there are many internal debates yes. uh, possible because the Assam uh, resistance to uh, the Citizenship Amendment Act is very different from let's say those who are talking about a borderless world, yes. which are also uh, part of uh, the protest, or those who are talking about India, and yeah. that everybody in India has a right uh, to live here and so on, mm. and, and, to, and to, to, it's not about citizenship by birth. Mm -hmm. So there are obviously debates and disagreements within this large protest, but I must say that if I suddenly felt that uh, in the seven decades which of which we have been very correctly critical or uh, very rightly critical, self-critical about the, all, this, all the things that India has done wrong and not done enough of, uh, somewhere I uh, realized that um, there has been a tremendous investment in the idea of India which hasn't been made. Mm. You know, mm. uh, India as, uh, so we know that there are enormous atrocities against Dalits. We know the caste, uh, the, the caste structure of this country and the discrimination and violence against Dalits. We know about the discrimination and violence against women and, and the huge um, kind of uh, capitalist move which is both mm. anti-ecological, anti-people. We know all that. Mm. Uh, but somewhere it seems as if in these seven decades some multiple kinds of voices of, that have gone into the critique that we made and continue to make of India, it seems as if it has borne fruit in a political rainbow of political expression mm. uh, which is um, broadly left of center, secular in the best sense that mm. is uh, 
you know uh, not secular in some kind of necessary hard sense but secular in in a sense in which there is a sense of accommodativeism hmm. yes uh, there clearly there's a very strong dalit voice very powerful very militant dalit voice reclaiming the constitution and for the first time there's a very strong and very different kind of muslim voice where muslims are speaking up as muslims proudly claiming india hmm. not giving in and rahat indori's poem you know has um, just read like one hmm. fire the, the last line of which is kisi ke baap ka thodi na hai hindustan and uh, that line is that poem is actually recited by little muslim children in videos all over hmm. so it's a kind of this land is not anybody's property it is ours our, our blood is in the soil sab sab khadi ka khoon mili hai is mitti mein and um, Uh, so there is a sense of entitlement hmm. authority with which people of com- different communities are speaking up and they're speaking up for one another and they're speaking up for an idea of India which is really inspiring hmm. but one also recognizes that possibly the critiques that people made at different levels uh, from grassroots level upwards those critiques have gone to produce this new kind hmm. of idea hmm. so uh, what you're describing is Sorry. What you're describing is almost a shift of register from all the small and big protests which have been taking place in the past, which have also, I think, to some extent, articulated the disenfranchisement of mm-hmm. communities. But suddenly there's a shift, and now it's almost like claiming the enfranchisement, which is almost allowing this movement to go ahead and gather steam, rather than becoming something on the margins hmm uh, yeah yeah you're right it's not um, it, it it's this one kind of narrative about disenfranchisement of course hmm. but it's a kind of militant narrative hmm. uh, in which you militantly claim back that which you yeah. disenfranchised of hmm. of course in this moment of great um, optimism one cannot forget that uh, when uh, in the states where the where the Hindutva uh, forces are in control, for example, Uttar Pradesh, Muslims are being held hostage by a criminal mafia. Mm. There's no other word to describe what's happening in Uttar Pradesh mm. right mm. now. Mm. Uh, where the police are now acting as the mob. They don't uh, actually, they're no, no longer mobilizing Hindu mobs. The police are doing that job directly, which I, in a way I see as a positive thing, in the sense that they're not able to mobilize mobs Hmm. uh perhaps any longer hmm. but uh, it's a direct attack and there are now so many uh, different ways in which journalists and citizen groups have been bringing out information about Uttar Pradesh I too visited a place hmm. in Uttar Pradesh hmm. and we heard the accounts of people and um it's very clear that they are being held hostage by a criminal mafia uh it's like a it's like being conquered by a criminal mafia they are like the conquered population of of a, of a gang lord uh and uh, so we cannot and now amit shah has declared that uh, she able to start in uttar pradesh and so has uh, the chief minister of uttar pradesh declared that she able to start this year and what does that mean because they they're talking about 
giving citizenship rights to supposedly Hindu refugees who have lived in the Pradesh for 30-40 years without any hmm. proper status. But obviously this is, it's actually uh, something, it's exactly the opposite that is being planned. It is not about enfranchising Hindu residents, it's about disenfranchising Muslims hmm. who are actually Indians, but we all know nobody has any papers. Uh, and um, who has papers, especially poor people don't have papers, so this is a way, they're, they're already starting the, through the implementation of the CA, they're going to actually implement the NRC in a way, and they're going to build those detention camps and they're going to put Indian Muslims into them immediately, and you see it has to be the focus now of all our work, and mm. there has to be some way in which this has, this has to be stopped, we cannot start implementing the CA. It is uh, it is a death sentence for Muslims in India. Already they are uh, in the grip, as I said, of this criminal mafia. But the implementation of the CAA means mass disenfranchisement of Indian Muslims in Uttar Pradesh. But as we've seen in recent weeks, the government at the centre and the BJP governments in the state they seem quite determined to use the state machinery in a violent manner that is perhaps unprecedented. Uh, what can be done against that? Um, again, in uh, an optimistic way of looking at this is that when a, the more a government has to use its coercive apparatus, the less its legitimacy and hmm. the more its desperation. Hmm. So hmm. it shows that this government is feeling utterly cornered and shocked hmm. by the fact that, for example, 11 states have refused to implement hmm. Uh, NRC and some states have stopped even the national population register mm. and um, there are clearly the statements from the central government uh, ministers and so on are absolutely appalled and they can't believe they're being uh, you know defied in this manner so mm. the excessive use of coercive apparatus of the state shows how desperate uh, the government is mm. uh, what is to be done um, when one is just what is already happening, which is massive, militant, ethical, non-violent civil disobedience. Mm. That is mm. really uh, what has to be done mm. uh, and that is already happening. It has to be massive civil disobedience and you know the line of Varun Gruber's poem, Hum Kagas Nahi We have to, we will not show, we have to boycott every single one of these. Mm. Now, um, having said that, we also realize that really poor people and especially Muslims of, let's say, states like Uttar Pradesh don't really have an option. If they don't show any paper, they will be hauled out to detention camps. And mm. they won't have papers anyway, so they will yes. be hauled out to detention mm. camps anyway. Mm. Um, so there is actually something else that needs to be done and that is the more difficult task because one has to really push the opposition parties to finally come out of the state of disarray that they're in uh, and uh, uh, recognize that this is really the last chance mm. to save the situation because the, it is very clear there is a clear uh, sort of a split between the people and the political party mm. hence that what the people want is not represented by anything the political parties are doing mm. uh, and uh, and I ha also have written about this uh, you know and and so have some others that the May, May elections the the majority that 
NDA got was impossible without in in a fair way. They could have been the massive majority that they got is highly questionable, and the Election Commission of India's role is highly questionable. And there have been multiple attempts to get the ECI to reveal certain information and so on. There are court cases going on. There are, but clearly this government has everything. You know, tied up. So that election is itself in question, and that so-called massive mandate is what has given them the power to do this. So a third level of uh, engaging with this is that there has to be some way in which we question the very election of this government hmm. uh, and the the mandate that this government has got um, on the basis of. Controlling the Election Commission of India. Hmm. Um, so I think there are. I can think. I think there are these three kinds of things that we should take seriously. Hmm. And uh, in a way, it's like some kind of spell. Some kind of paralyzing spell has broken. Hmm. You know, hmm. Hmm. this moment. It's like since 2014. It's like we've been in a state of paralysis where they just got away with everything. Yes. And it's really astonishing to me that. So what broke the spell was something that I would have least expected to break. Mm, mm. uh, I would have thought something like demonetization would have broken. Yes. Uh, or GST, you know. Yes. But what breaks the spell is something that is uh, that is clearly runs counter. Uh, something that really runs counter to what the mass of people in India believe India to be. Mm. Uh, and I'm I'm astonished and. Delighted and exhilarated, and it's a moment of great hope. So it is. It's a very, very difficult period, mm. and we don't know what this government is capable of. The uh, new um, chief of uh, defence staff talked about preemptive strikes against Pakistan. Mm. So two nuclear powers in this, in South Asia, and he makes such an irresponsible statement. Hmm. Um, so we don't know what this government is capable of when it is completely cornered. Yes. Um, so I have no doubt that things uh, are not going to resolve very easily. But one does get a feeling that the spell has broken, hmm. and the people of India have um, stretched themselves and are out there. <laughs> They're out there. They're up and about, and it's not going to be an easy job for Indurash at all. Well, as you said, this is an extremely hopeful moment, and let's hope it's a turning point. And uh, talking to you is always so interesting. We planned on a very short interview, but this has gone on longer. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much.